With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. There's JJ over there. Let's get to it and talk about maybe the most famous painting in all the world. Perhaps. Um, Sad Clown Hobo. (laughs) By John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Have you seen the Mona Lisa? I have. Same here. Uh, I'm sure your first impression, like many people, was, huh, sure is small. It's it's impossible to not have. You can go into it saying, I'm not going to think that. I've been prepped. <laughs> I'm not going to let myself think that, and you will think that. Yeah, it's two feet six inches by one foot nine inches. Mm-hmm. It's a small little painting. It is, and they have it behind some seriously protective casing. Yep. Uh, you can't get too terribly close to it. Nope. You can get kind of close, but not, you know, you can't just walk up right on it. No. And um, I think we talked a lot about the, why they have it under that casing in our How the Louvre Works episode, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think we covered that. Uh, this is a little more about the lady herself. Um, they think for sure that Mona Lisa was a person, yeah, uh, a real person. And there's been a lot of debate over the years. But the, the current thinking is... What's her name? Oh, boy. Is uh, Lisa Gerardini del Giancondo. Nice. Um, also known as La Gioconda. Very nice. Because she's a lady. Yep. And she was a wealthy woman uh, married to a wealthy silk merchant. And the thinking is that he had this commissioned uh, to celebrate the birth of uh, their impending birth of a child. Yeah. And it's bizarre to think that we don't we don't know much about the Mona Lisa. It's not that old. I mean, um, Da Vinci started it, I think. (laughs) 1503 is when he started the painting. Exactly, which yeah. is what I was going to say eventually. Okay. Um, so it's not it's not so ridiculously old that that it, it's just completely lost to history, and yet it is because the um, the Giocondo family never took possession of it. And the reason that they think that they're almost certain that that is who it is, that it's La Gioconda in that painting, um, is that there there was a, uh, a book written about it in the time that Leonardo da Vinci's sons were still alive, Mm -hmm. and so still around to refute this, if it was incorrect, that it was her, that she was the one who was seated there. And then years and years later, somebody found a margin note somewhere in some book or some notebook that said as much that Lisa Giardini, Garadini, Mm -hmm. sorry, um, was the Mona Lisa, and that she was going to be sitting for this work that da Vinci was working on. Right, and they speculate about the impending pregnancy because she has some kind of loose clothing on, and that little smile uh, is interpreted as, oh, guess what's coming? I'm about to give birth. I can't wait. <laughs> so we should probably talk a little bit about the um, the artistry of the Mona Lisa. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Meh. Oh, really? Are you crazy? You don't like it? It's not that I don't like it. I'm just, I'm not a big fan of portraiture, period. Uh, uh, not a lot of portraits knock me out like others, um, other paintings do. Okay. Um, I can appreciate them for sure. Yeah. But I've never looked at a portrait and been like, man, I want that in my house so bad. N- not a big Rembrandt fan, huh? Nah. 
So um, I think one of the reasons I appreciate it, Chuck, is because I recently saw Decoding Da Vinci, a okay. Nova, little Nova documentary. The Tom Hanks movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a mullet in it running around all over the place. Um, no, this was, uh, this was even more legitimate than that. Oh, wow. But, but they really go into, you know, the techniques that he used in this painting, especially the sfumato method. Yeah. That he's very well known for, which uses shading and and um, some other stuff. You're gonna have to watch the Nova episode for it to to be explained. But mm-hmm. but the the upshot of it is there's no lines. Yeah. In the Mona Lisa, there's no hard lines. There's no he didn't paint a line. He suggested lines. Every line in that painting doesn't actually exist. It's all an illusion created by the painting techniques that he was using on the Mona Lisa. And they really go to town explaining this, and it really makes it that that much easier to appreciate. Yeah, another thing that's mentioned here in the uh, House of Works article is the fact, and this kind of stood out to me, is mostly when you see portraits, especially, especially? oh my Lord, sure. uh, from that era is you have someone in a room, maybe, and not necessarily a landscape as well. Right. There were landscapes and there were portraits, and never the tween shall meet. But he blended those two things together. Uh, and there's a landscape behind the Mona Lisa and an aerial perspective. And she's very much in a big open space with this, these mountains and winding paths behind her. Mm-hmm. And your eye doesn't always go to that because you're looking at that face and that smile. Right. But uh, that look, dreamy landscape is certainly back there. Yeah, and I think what, what they're what they're remarking about is that it's supposedly an imaginary landscape, and that yeah. most people didn't paint imaginary ones. And there people have tried to prove that it actually is an imaginary. Most recently, a pair of Italian researchers, uh, Olivia Neschi and Rosetta Borchia. I don't do it nearly as well as you, <laughs> but they said no. It's this place in Montefeltro, in the east of Italy, east of Florence, on the Adriatic coast. And they're like, this mountain is this one. This is oh, this mountain. They said this bridge used to be there, but it's since been destroyed. This lake is no longer here. It's filled in by mudslides. But they're pretty sure they pinpointed it. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're correct. It's it's still speculative. But they have they seem to have a pretty good case to back it up. But, but their supposition of, is that La Gioconda posed in front of that. No, no, just that he he um he that's what he painted. Okay, you know, gotcha. Yeah, so so yeah, I don't think that they were saying like she, he made her sit there for four years, <laughs> or that she was ever even there. But that it wasn't. Their point is is that it's not a made up landscape. Well, no, I mean I'm sure he took a photograph of her right, and then just worked from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knowing Da Vinci, he probably did. Uh, I will say that the uh, Mona Lisa's eyes following you, the Mona Lisa effect. Mm-hmm. which he did not invent, but it is referred to uh, that way anyway. Yeah. And I know you're pretty um, pretty into this idea that eyes can follow you. Sure. That works on a laptop even. It does, and, and that's a whole other short stuff if you ask me. But this um, this this Mona Lisa effect, it, it, that, it being called that, the eyes following you around the room in a yeah. painting, that's actually a misnomer because they've proven that the Mona Lisa does not actually demonstrate the Mona Lisa effect. Oh, it did to me, man. Does it? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, the fact that I got super drunk at lunch. But sure. <laughs> I sure. was sitting at my desk, and I was I was going, you know, heavy back and forth to the left and right, yeah. and they seemed to be following me. Or maybe it was suggested, so I saw it that way. I don't know. I, I wonder that, man. I wonder if that is because— 
when I looked and saw that it, she doesn't have that effect, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally see it. They, they, some researchers measured where people pointed on the screen or pointed on themselves where she was looking, and most people said she was looking past them to their right about th- at a 30-degree angle. Hmm. Well, it may have been power suggestion. Yeah, for both of us. Who knows? Uh, all right, well, let's take a break here, and okay. then we'll hear, you will hear, we will say, a little bit about when and why the Mona Lisa became soups famous. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Driver's panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors, all the parts you need at the prices you want guaranteed to fit your ride every time visit ebaymotors.com for more eligible items only exclusions apply so jump in buckle up and listen to car and drivers into cars available wherever you get podcasts All right, Chuck, I thought that break would never come. Right. So um, it's funny to think as famous as the Mona Lisa is, but she was fairly neglected by the world until the mid-19th century. And even then, just like a small little group of French uh, art critics finally discovered, you know, this Da Vinci painting and were like, this is a masterpiece. This is an amazing work of Renaissance art. We haven't noticed all these few hundred years, but it's amazing. They didn't really tell the rest of the world. And people liked the Mona Lisa. It was fine. But it wasn't until she was stolen off of the wall in the Louvre in 1911 that the world really sat up and and took notice. It's very much like that Cinderella song, you don't know what you got until it's gone. (laughs) That happened with the Mona Lisa, too. I think they wrote that about the Mona Lisa, right? Probably. Uh, Yeah, August 21st, 1911, there were three... Uh, handyman that uh, just kind of went out the side door with the Mona Lisa. Uh, mm-hmm. It took 26, and this is kind of evidence that 
she wasn't that big of a deal yet. It took a whole 26 hours before anyone even noticed she was gone. Mm-hmm. And um, whereas today, you know, there would be alarm bells like oh, the second it was removed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it was put in the papers and all of a sudden it kind of ran away in the press. The Louvre shut down for a week and everyone from Pablo Picasso to J.P. Morgan were named as uh, potential suspects. Yeah, they th- they thought J.P. Morgan was financing people to steal them for steal like artworks for him. Amazing. Yeah, and actually, it's funny that raises this other thing, Chuck. Real quick, there's um there are accusations against wealthy Chinese people, um like who are funding art heists to repatriate Chinese art. Oh, interesting. And there's like a whole string of art heists around the world that are just um, ancient Chinese works of art. And they think that some people in China are financing it. It's, it was a GQ article called The Great Chinese Art Heist. Wow. Well, I certainly believe in repatriation to a certain degree, but I don't know if you should go to that length. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, the newspapers get it out. Louvre shuts down. People were coming to the museum to see what was known as the mark of shame, that mm-hmm. empty, you know, non-cigarette stained square on the wall. <laughs> And everyone went and went, is that how big it is? (laughs) (laughs) That that little non-dusty square. Yeah. Uh, And then it took a full 28 months uh, for this thing to finally reappear with an attempted resale from Vincenzo Perugia. And the uh, owner of the art gallery that was being offered this painting said, yeah, this is the Mona Lisa. You know what? I'm going to make sure you get a good reward for this. Just stick around and stay right there. I'm going to go in the other room and make a quick phone call to the reward center. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And make sure you get your rewards. Just reward right there, reward. (laughs) And then Homer Simpson just stood in place (laughs) and waited for the Italian uh, polizia to come. Yep. And he he got busted, and he got eight months in prison for this. It was a pretty big art heist, but he was in Florence trying to sell it. So he'd stolen from the Louvre in Paris, and his defense was— Napoleon stole this from us, uh, and I was repatriating it myself. Oh. And I think he actually kind of got, you know, eight months isn't exactly a slap on the wrist, but it's also not a um, a ridiculous sentence either for, for what he got so or for what he did. So um, I think that actually helped. That defense worked. Do you know if he ratted out his two buddies? I don't know, and I don't know if it would have mattered because he was the one that lived with it in like a, the false bottom of his steamer trunk in his apartment for two years before he he tried to sell it. So I don't know if it would have helped at all. Man, I wish I had a false bottom. <laughs> Steamer trunk, those are, would be pretty handy. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like a bottom. No, 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 just a false bottom trunk like seems fal- like a... False bottom girls, they make the rock and world <laughs> go around kind of false bottom. Stop it. Can we say that? It's not the 70s any longer. I think we're okay. Okay. You got anything else? Nothing. Well, then, everybody, short stuff says, Arrivederci. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.